Welcome back to Michigan Crime Stories. For several years, Brianna was a Jane Doe, and while she eventually got her name back with DNA testing, there are hundreds of Jane and John Doe's right now in Michigan whose identities are a mystery. Gus hasn't just been looking into Brianna's story. Gus and some of his colleagues have been working on a project that looks into missing and unidentified persons within the state. He also wrote a companion piece to this podcast, a detailed story on Brianna. You can find all of Gus's work, including these recent pieces on missing persons, by doing a quick internet search for Gus Burns and MLive. We also have included a link to the story on Brianna in the description of this podcast. Let's get back to Brianna's story right now with part three. Again, a message that this podcast includes graphic language and descriptions of a potential crime scene. It discusses violence and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. You know, um, we've actually maintained contact even even now, years later. I'll still call him every once in a while and check in with him. Um, he's just a great guy, and sadly for him, you know, he was trying to do the best that he could. I don't want to paint, like, this beautiful picture of a happy life that the girl led because she really didn't, you know. Uh, she was a troubled youth, had a lot of issues at home, a lot of issues with uh, school, truancy, and um, dad just couldn't keep up with her. And she got sent back to Michigan to, to live with her her mother again. I think he's always had regret for that, even though it was completely out of his hands. But um, he was probably the only one that didn't fail her um, in regards to what ended up happening to her in the end. That's Sarah Krebs with the Michigan State Police reflecting on the four-year search for Brianna Sharp that led investigators to a Jane Doe and an unmarked suburban Detroit grave. Big questions were answered with that discovery, but even bigger ones still loomed. Leonard Cobb, Brianna's father, didn't think about how she died, at least right away. He was just happy to have finally located his daughter. But when he learned what police and the medical examiner said Brianna died of, that she'd committed suicide by hanging herself in an abandoned Detroit apartment, he found it hard to believe. I first learned about Brianna Sharp in 2012. Someone had passed along a tip to my editor that a young girl from Detroit had at that time been missing for four years. I found the case on Web Sleuths, a website dedicated to crime, missing persons, and online armchair investigation. One day I checked on the website and there was a digital candle that had been snuffed out next to Brianna's case. The candle signifies a beacon for missing children to come home safely. When snuffed out, it means they've been located, but they're no longer alive. I began my own hunt for answers with a call to the Wayne County Medical Examiner's office, and it quickly became clear this wasn't an ordinary case. At first, they weren't confirming the cause or manner of death, which are usually details the office gives freely over the phone to reporters. So I began looking into it further, which led me to calling then-trooper Sarah Krabs. The uh, cause and manner, um, it was considered uh, a suicide by asphyxiation. Her body was found on the stairwell in that apartment complex, um, in an apartment, so it must have been a two-story apartment, and um, had a, a ligature around the neck that went up the stairs around a corner. It was tied to a doorknob. That's really all I could could see from the autopsy file. To clarify one thing, that cord that strangled Brianna, an ordinary TV cable cord, was not tied to a doorknob. One end appears to have been fed through the wall in the second story bedroom. It looped around Brianna's neck two times, and the other end of the cord was run back up the stairs and around a cabinet door. It's not clear if or how it was attached to the cabinet. They did not have an autopsy done on the body. Uh, because she was an adult female and that it was considered a suicide, they did what is called an inspection, meaning that she was brought into the medical examiner's office. 
and inspected, meaning they looked at the body, but they did not perform an actual autopsy on it. I think we all thought that was a little odd. Not not that it's uh, impossible for a 13-year-old to put a cord around her neck and hang herself on a set of stairs, but it definitely wasn't something that I would predict, and uh, I think it's somewhat surprising. Um, I don't know that he'll ever come to terms with that. As any parent of a child that, that dies, you don't um, exactly want to agree with how it happened. And, you know, I, I wonder myself um, if she actually did that or if somebody else did that to her. It's it's not that teenagers can't um, die by suicide, because they do. It's just her, the facts of her. I felt like Brianna was, was, you know, not real popular in the neighborhood. I felt like uh, she was probably doing what she could to survive out there probably breaking into people's houses, probably stealing items to survive. And I think that might have caught up with her. That is a very probable factor um, in the city that she lived in and in the neighborhood she was in. But since uh, that's what the autopsy report says, and um, I really can't contest it at this point. And I think that had they known that it was a 13-year-old, that might have changed their opinion. It may have, it may not have. And I don't think we'll ever know. Even though Detroit police homicide detectives were called to the scene of Brianna's death, Krebs said that doesn't mean it was considered a full-fledged homicide. She said homicide investigators are usually called to the scene of any death in which the cause isn't immediately clear, a better safe-than-sorry scenario. But they usually end up waiting for the autopsy to determine if they'll pursue any homicide investigation further. She referred to police, quote, pulling a number, just sort of the formal initiation of a homicide case. Police don't like to pull a number prematurely, she said, because it can mess with the end-of-year crime stats. In Brianna's instance, the death was ruled a suicide. But even in cases when the death seems likely to be the result of homicide, Krebs said the inability to identify a victim comes into play. I have seen a lot of cases where an investigation was not conducted because they didn't identify the person. So while it should have maybe been a homicide investigation, no number got pulled and no investigation was done because the person was considered unknown, undetermined. So, I mean, the whether or not they're ID'd does play a factor it does. in the investigation. It absolutely does. And it's been going on for years. I mean, that's that's why, think about it, it's why gangsters cut hands off and remove teeth from victims. They know that in delaying the identification process of their victim, that they're probably going to get away with it. And, you know, it, it actually works. The initial report I received from Detroit police was filled out by a responding Detroit police officer, Sean Childry, who arrived to the townhomes with another officer, apparently his partner, Richard Hauser. They met with the maintenance man, Jerry Parker, who said he found the body at the apartment while attempting to get a washer and dryer for another unit. Parker said when he arrived, the east side window was broken out and the back door was unlocked. He found Brianna lying on the steps. Childry wrote, quote, Officers arrived and observed the complainant with what appears to be blood and severe trauma to the right side of her face. Also, a rope tied around the complainant's neck and right eye appeared to be missing, unquote. She was described in the initial report as a black female between the age of 18 and 25. The call was listed as homicide-fatal assault. And when I tracked down Jerry Parker, the maintenance man, years later, he scoffed at the idea that this was a suicide. In addition to the responding officers, two homicide detectives, Keith Norod, and Moses Jimenez later arrived to the scene. Both detectives investigated as if it were a homicide, but Norod in his report indicated suicide was suspected. Here's Norod's description of the body. Quote, The victim was discovered laying on the stairs leading up to the upper portion of the vacant unit. 
The victim had a cable TV cord from the upper southeast bedroom wrapped around her neck. The victim was wearing a white sports bra or halter top, blue Dickies boys boxers, dark blue jeans, and white gym shoes. She also had two gold tone earrings with clear stones, one in her left ear and one that had been in her right ear but looked as if it had come out and was laying on the edge of the white wife beater style undershirt that was wrapped around the cable around the victim's neck. There were numerous flies and maggots present in and around the mouth, nose, ears, and eyes of the victim. There are no other remarkable signs of trauma to this victim visible at this time, unquote. Norad listed a different age estimate for Brianna. He guessed she was a 15 to 17-year-old black female, 5 foot, 5 inches tall, 120 pounds, with a medium complexion. He wrote, quote, As you look at the victim, you also notice the victim's stomach is distended and swollen, and that it appears that the victim may have been pregnant. The way the victim is laying on the stairs, see photos, and the way the wife-beater-style t-shirt was wrapped around the cable that is around the victim's neck, and the lack of any other visible trauma to the victim, this appears to be a suicide, unquote. That being said, Norad still requested bags be wrapped around Brianna's hands, likely to preserve any possible DNA or other evidence, and requested a rape kit. The medical examiner's office also sent their own investigator to the scene, which is customary in a yet-to-be-determined apparent sudden death like this. An investigator with the last name Washington took some notes and photos. She said Brianna looked, quote, possibly pregnant, and mentioned the police wanted a rape kit conducted. Medical examiner's office investigator Washington provided yet another different age range for Brianna. She guessed between 19 and 21. Unlike the detective, her brief didn't speculate that it was suicide. Brianna's body was moved to the morgue, and this is where the paper trail gets a little dicey. Apparently, a Dr. Cheryl Lowe conducted what's called a post-mortem examination, basically just observing the state of the body without dissection or tests. But I wasn't able to get that original document. Only updated versions that have been amended since Brianna's identification four years later in 2012. So I don't know what Lowe's train of thought was, why she chose not to perform an autopsy, why or if she performed a rape kit analysis, and whether she checked for pregnancy. The only notes related to the cause and manner of death determination came after Brianna was exhumed in 2012, and there was an autopsy performed on the decomposed remains. It was conducted by a different assistant medical examiner who said, quote, Review of the investigation photos and autopsy revealed ligature furrows that encircled the neck and passed over the anterior neck. There were abrasions on the posterior right shoulder, posterior torso, and under the breasts. Postmortem toxicology was non-contributory, and there were no injuries or diseases present that contributed to the death. There were no findings that were inconsistent with the original observations from August of 2008. The manner of death is classified as suicide. The 2012 toxicology report indicated there was a small amount of alcohol in Brianna's system. I tried to track down Dr. Cheryl Lowe, who is now 61 years old and long gone from the Wayne County Medical Examiner's office. I requested records of any complaints related to Dr. Lowe and any records that explain why and when she separated from the county, but my request was denied. Wayne County said the records are older than four years and therefore exempt from release under law. I previously obtained internal notes written by a Wayne County assistant prosecuting attorney related to their search for an autopsy in Brianna's case. Wayne County Medical Examiner Dr. Carl Schmidt in 2012 told that assistant prosecutor that no autopsy was conducted after the body was initially discovered in 2008. Schmidt, quote, expressed that Dr. Lowe kept a lot from him and stated his belief that it was because she was an alcoholic, unquote. 
The notes also indicated that by 2012, Dr. Lowe had moved on to the nearby Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office. During my search for public records about Dr. Lowe, I learned that she was hospitalized, charged, and convicted with felony cocaine possession under 25 grams in 2015. The charges came after a suicidal person call in which her boyfriend called police in Clinton Township, a Detroit suburb where Lowe lived, according to the police reports I obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. The police report said Lowe's boyfriend told responding officers that Lowe was attempting to harm herself, and when police intervened, they also found cocaine. I recently looked Lowe up in Macomb County court records and found that she's been appointed a temporary guardian and made a temporary ward of the state. She was also the subject of a mentally ill person petition in 2019. I don't know if any of this contributed to her decision-making more than a decade earlier, but Dr. Lowe's decision not to perform an autopsy in the absence of results from a rape kit analysis or a pregnancy test closed the door on any further police investigation into Brianna's case. And if 13-year-old Brianna was pregnant, that opens up all kinds of new questions. Sarah Krebs with the state police commented on both the possible pregnancy and the rape kit. I know that with a lot of bodies that are decomposing, that your abdomen does expand with the gases, and that's more than likely of what had occurred. Since they didn't do an autopsy, I don't believe they ever checked to see if she was in fact pregnant. And as far as the rape kit, it was never found. So if one was performed on her body, we never got access to it because that would have given us the DNA where we would not have to have exhumed her body. As you know, the rape kit scenario in Detroit has not been a good, they haven't had a whole lot of success in keeping track of those. And I'm, I'm just guessing that it was probably in that storage room full of rape kits that was found you know, untested. And the fact that um, this case did not have a name on it was even harder to track down because she would have been identified as either Jane Doe, unidentified person, unidentified female. There's a lot of different ways they could have categorized her. We checked with uh, the Detroit Police Department's evidence custodian and uh, could not come up with a match for it. At the time of Brianna's death, Detroit had its own forensics unit. It closed in 2009, leaving behind a stockpile of nearly 12,000 untested rape kits. It took nearly a decade and millions of dollars to test those kits after the fact. Hundreds of them contained repeat DNA, meaning the suspects were serial rapists who could have been stopped earlier. It was a mess, and somewhere among those stacks of rape kits, there may have been one kit that read Jane Doe 08-8093, the ID originally signed to Brianna. No one could find it. And since the autopsy wasn't conducted and criminal activity was quickly ruled out, it seems unlikely that medical examiner staff would have also taken the time to conduct a rape kit analysis. On August 7, 2008, less than 24 hours after Brianna's body had arrived at the morgue, Dr. Lowe submitted the cause and manner of death. The suicide designation led police to end any ongoing homicide investigation, and minimal efforts were put into identifying Brianna. From the circumstances of our investigation, uh, which was supported by the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office, uh, this was a suicide. There was uh, no indication that there was any foul play involved in, in the death of this individual. That's Detroit Police Commander Michael McGinnis, who was head of the homicide unit when I interviewed him about Brianna's case in 2018. Also at the interview, though he spoke less, was a Lieutenant Kenneth Gardner, then commander of the Homicide Task Force. It's obviously a, a hanging, but for the average person, it's not in the traditional sense where someone is hanging from a cord from something elevated. This was by the use of a door handle and a set of stairs, something that um, is more common and easier to 
to apply. You'd, you'd be surprised, actually, the number of hanging deaths, suicide, that don't involve actually hanging from a rafter or a ceiling or something. This is more common. Once again, this was not a hanging by doorknob. The TV cable wire that was around Brianna's neck was fed through a wall on one end and looped around a cupboard door on the other. McGinnis later said that he misspoke when he said doorknob, but maintains the same conclusion. You don't even need the stairs, but yeah. And, and what you'll see with what you would expect to see, and this is coming from the medical examiner's office, what you would expect to see if there was something else involved is some injuries to the decedent's neck by trying to stop the cord from strangling them to death. And in this case, there was no such injuries. That's one of part of their examination. Had they seen an indication that the victim was attempting to try to stop the cord from uh, strangling her, then that warrants further investigation. But the lack of that helped support the uh, identification of this being a suicide. The rape kit, unfortunately, we are not able to locate. Uh, in 2008, the standard process at that time was to order a rape kit on cases where it's not clear-cut as to how the decedent died. And then in this case, they made the determination that following day that it was a suicide. So at that point, and this is back in 2008, at that point, there was no need to process the rape kit because it was ruled a suicide. It wasn't a criminal event. Here's what McGinnis had to say in regard to apparent injuries reported by the officers who were first on the scene. As far as the trauma, what you're reading there is what patrol officers had documented in their report. And patrol officers aren't as experienced in responding to the number of deaths that, say, a homicide detective would be. They might have, that might have been the first hanging death that they've been to where the victim was there for uh, uh, over three days. And so what was described by the patrol officers as obvious signs of trauma, in fact, was just post-mortem decomposition. I asked Commander McGinnis more about the lack of an initial autopsy, pregnancy determination, etc., and he had difficulty believing there wasn't one. I can tell you that uh, if, if she was pregnant, that would have been noted in the medical examiner's report. But as far as I can tell, they didn't really do an autopsy. They didn't um, extract blood or... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they did. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, that's, that's a standard process of... There's, a, there's definitely the... They have a, certain things they always do for anyone that comes through their office and... Uh, they undoubtedly made several incisions. They would have known if she was pregnant. It would have been noted in their in their report. As far as I can tell, there was no incisions. There was no... It was more of a, a visual observation type ruling. I mean, I guess I can't speak to what that office does, uh, but I personally would be shocked if they had a decedent come in in the condition this person was and not do a full examination. I, I don't know of them ever not doing a full examination. Right. So maybe the problem is is their record keeping and documentation of what they did. They examined the entire body. Uh, they they cut open the chest cavity. They they cut up the off brain. the skull. They I, I mean these are doctors. This is a medical facility. There's I would be extremely shocked had that not occurred with this decedent. I mean. I would. I am. I mean, I, that's kind of what, one of the other things that maybe in looking into the case further is that it doesn't appear that was done. Commander McGinnis said some of the first notations made by arriving police related to suspected injuries may have been mistaken decomposition, but Brianna did have other trauma that McGinnis didn't comment on. 
It was photographed at the scene and morgue by the original medical examiner's office investigator and recorded in the post-exhumation autopsy conducted in 2012. The pictures show Brianna had a circular mark that looks like a bruise at the center of her back between her shoulder blades. There's another linear mark that's colored like a bruise on the back of her right shoulder and a red mark on the front of her right shoulder that was hidden under the strap of her sports bra. There are also two marks described by the medical examiner's office as abrasions under each of her breasts. Police records say they seized a four-foot-long section of cable cord that was never tested for DNA and has since been destroyed. Photos of it show one end is clean-cut, the other end is tied in a knot. The cord was also wrapped in a tank-top-style undershirt around Brianna's neck. Since Brianna was only wearing a sports bra, it's possible the undershirt was her own. There were also splotches of blood on the t-shirt, but that wasn't tested either. The Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office at the time of Brianna's death was run by medical examiner Dr. Carl Schmidt. In 2011, Wayne County began contracting medical examiner services to the University of Michigan Medicine. The university is technically the employer. It was recently announced that the contract is ending on September 30th after more than a decade. Neither the University of Michigan or Wayne County have fully explained why, but several stories by investigative reporters at WDIV, Local 4 News Detroit, exposed a series of mistakes by the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office and credit their own reporting, in part, for the University of Michigan's decision not to renew the contract. The stories included the accidental cremation of a man whose family didn't want him cremated, the decomposition of a woman whose corpse was infested with maggots when it arrived at the funeral parlor because she wasn't properly refrigerated, and a man whose family was looking for him for nearly a year and a half before it was realized he was already at the morgue, listed as John Doe. He arrived to the morgue with his government ID in his pocket. On a grander scale, in recent years, the FBI teamed up with Detroit police to exhume dozens of unidentified bodies from Wayne County that were buried in unmarked graves at various cemeteries. They were suspected homicide victims, and like Brianna, they were buried without DNA collection. Wayne County has a disproportionately high number of unidentified remains. There's a national database that uses the acronym NamUs that allows law enforcement and medical examiners to enter details about unidentified remains. Michigan has 320 sets of unidentified remains listed in the database, and of those, 262 are from Wayne County, 204 of those from Detroit. Wayne County has a higher ratio of unidentified remains to population than Los Angeles County, Cook County, the home of Chicago, and Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, where New Orleans is. Detroit police were quick to take the medical examiner's lead and close Brianna's case when it was ruled a suicide, and it appears didn't do much to try to ID her. According to canvassing notes I reviewed, police even spoke to two people who claimed to know the dead girl, except they identified her as Brianne and didn't know her last name. But police never followed up with those witnesses once the death was ruled a suicide, based on the police records I obtained. The world of medical examiners is quite insulated, I've found. I called numerous medical examiners, private and public, in Michigan and beyond. Nearly none would take a look at Brianna's case or offer their opinion. A private firm in Texas offered to take a look, but they wanted $500 up front. I declined. The only medical examiner who accepted my interview request on the topic was Dr. Dragovich, the medical examiner for Oakland County, a wealthy suburb directly north of Detroit. He's been there since 1991, but worked in Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office for about a decade prior to that. Oakland County has one unidentified remains case listed in the national database. That's 261 fewer than Wayne County. Dr. Dragovich, who immigrated from the former Yugoslavia, credits that to his investigators, who he said don't quit until there's an ID. He can't imagine burying a body without a name. There is no guessing. You have to, to be 
certain how do you decide to incur someone, I mean, to, to bury someone without identifying. And regarding the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office death investigation of Brianna, Dragovich reviewed it and felt it was lacking. This is not about resources. This is about attitude. Whatever you see or discover a dead body, whether it's in East Detroit, West Detroit, the central area, wherever, abundant house, there's someone that knows something. They didn't open the body. You have to open the body. I mean, if the body, the, the photographs that I saw, depict some uh, maggot uh, infestation, but generally uh, the original preservation of the body was uh, very acceptable for any purpose, for evaluation, for uh, tissue sampling, for anything. Toxicological analysis, I, I don't see that, that it was done. I mean, it was done after, after exhumation, the second time around, but this is four or five years later. Why wasn't there sufficient assessment the first time around? That, that's the big question. And it defies really the, uh, the, the whole concept. This is unknown death, unwitnessed death. <laughs> it has every reason for examination along those lines. While Michigan law establishes when death investigations must be conducted, for instance, in cases involving violence, such as Brianna's, it doesn't stipulate under what circumstances an autopsy is required. Dr. Dragovich told me that an autopsy is a tool, and one that should probably be used in a situation involving an unidentified female who dies violently and is suspected of being pregnant. But does it hurt to visit the scene? When you go to visit the scene, the scene tells you a lot of things. You, you get the information that you can never get just from brief description, oh, uh, something wrapped around or a cord or extension cord or uh, cable cord wrapped around the neck, and that's it. Without adequate documentation, photographs, where is it hooked up, how does it go, where, what, what are the possibilities, is, is it physically possible to slide down the stairs and, uh, and get suspended, or is it, is it possible that someone was uh, doing that, or is it possible that someone, someone attached it after the fact? You really have to sort that out. That's, that's what that investigation is about. Detroit police didn't have the advantage of hindsight when they investigated Brianna's case back in 2008. They didn't know she was 13. They didn't know her name. They didn't know her mother didn't report her missing until she was forced to a year later when state police arrived at her door. I guess my big, far-fetched hope during my interview with the Detroit police mostly for the sake of Brianna's father, her sister, and aunt, who all feel this case didn't receive a proper investigation, was that they might take a second look, that they might ask a couple more questions. Is there any circumstance that could convince the Detroit Police Department to take another look at this as a possible homicide? Um, as, as it stands now, not in this case, because for us to, to move forward with something else, we, we would need some sort of supporting evidence to indicate something other than, than what's been assessed already. Based on those statements and the fact that most of the evidence in this case has been destroyed, it seems unlikely that the law will be taking a second look at Brianna's death, short of a confession. Brianna's story has been muffled since that cable cord cut off her airway in 2008. Police and medical examiners have moved on to the next crime, to the next body. But some, like Brianna's sister, will never forget. And perhaps the only justice left for Brianna is to tell her story. So I feel like if it was me, if I went missing, 
they would try to find me. I true, I felt like that. If it was my brothers, like they would be pulling out all the stops. You know, my kid is missing. They would be telling everybody. I feel like that. I truly feel like that. Like they would do something, and they did nothing. Like nobody. My grandma didn't. Damien didn't. My mom didn't. And they were the only adults in the house with us. So honestly, I feel like if there was just a missing persons report filed, we would know exactly what happened to her. I think we would know, and we would have been known. We would not be here trying to figure it out had they just reported her missing, had they just said she was gone. You've just finished part three of Brianna's story. Make sure to subscribe to Michigan Crime Stories wherever you get podcasts so you can be alerted of future episodes and seasons of the podcast. If you want to speak with Gus about this case or another crime story, you can contact him by email at fburns at mlive.com. That's F as in Foxtrot, B-U-R-N-S at mlive.com. If you value the work of journalists like Gus, consider becoming an MLive subscriber at MLive.com slash subscribe. If you or someone you know is in a suicidal crisis or emotional distress, the new shortened nationwide number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. That's right, just three numbers, 988. Thanks for listening to Michigan Crime Stories. We'll see you here at your convenience for part four, the conclusion of what happened to Brianna. Mm -hmm.